With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the AgNet News Hour from AgNet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal. Hey everyone, it's Danielle Leal here, and thanks for getting your agriculture news with me today. We've all experienced storms throughout December and January, and those storms cause much damage to a lot of California agriculture. Well, the California Department of Food and Agriculture has posted a list of relief and support resources from both state and federal partners on its website. And now these resources are meant to assist farmers and ranchers who have been impacted by flood water resulting from the heavy rainfall earlier this year. You can visit cdfa.ca.gov and search flood resources for a complete list of links to resources or you can simply contact your local farm service agency, risk management, rural development, or natural resources conservation service office for more information. And now let's get into today's show headlines. NASDA sets its 2023 priorities. Members of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, the state commissioners, secretaries, and directors of agriculture have selected seven key issues to prioritize for their organization in the year 2023. Those issues include the 2023 Farm Bill, animal health, especially protecting U.S. livestock from emerging diseases, environmental regulations in regard to the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act, food production and the supply chain, food safety by advocating for FISMA funding, international trade, and workforce development. NASDA CEO Ted McKinney remarked on the timeliness and importance of these issues for 2023 by stating, quote, These issues were chosen for the organization's 2023 focus as NASDA members see specific opportunities for progress regarding each of these areas to best serve farmers, ranchers, and all communities across the nation. Further, we believe these are the areas where State Departments of Agriculture are uniquely positioned to lead impact and direct policymaking solutions this year. You can read more about each of the 2023 policy priorities and all of NASDA policy work by visiting nasda.org backslash policy. And now here's Brian German with back-to-back agriculture news. 2022 ended up being a banner year for California avocados. One of the family partners in Petty Ranch down in the Ventura area, Chris Sayer, said that for the avocado side of their operation, prices and production worked out to provide one of the best years yet for them. You know, 2022 was just a banner year for avocados, both for the industry in general and for us in particular. We saw very, very high prices, uh, well over $2 a pound for most of the growing season. And fortunately for us, that coincided with both an on-year in terms of production for our existing avocado trees, as well as uh, a number of recently planted acres finally reaching maturity and coming into production. So uh, we had good prices and the uh, and the best production we've seen yet in our uh, avocado operation. So that that combined uh, to really make for a for a fantastic year. UC Cooperative Extension will be hosting its annual strawberry production research meeting next month. The meeting will be held as a virtual event and is scheduled for Tuesday, February 7th. The event will begin at 8 a.m. with a presentation from Santa Cruz County Farm Advisor Mark Bolda, highlighting transplant size and early season flower removal in day-neutral strawberry. Other topics that will be discussed include soil disease management, spot steam applications to control soil pests, as well as updates on fusarium wilt research. There will also be a presentation with an update on laws and regulations from the Santa Cruz County Ag Commissioner. 
After the morning break, there will be presentations on biodegradable films in strawberry, Ligus research and management in the Central Coast, as well as an update on the UC Davis strawberry breeding program. More information on the meeting is available on the upcoming events page at agnetwest.com. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. Thanks, Brian, and stay tuned as we'll have more of the day's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and at Statewide Agriculture News at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal, tossing it right on over to Sabrina Halverson with today's National Spotlight. In today's National Spotlight, speaking at the AgriPulse virtual webinar titled Farming in an Integrated World, CEO of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, Ted McKinney, discussed the European Union Green Deal. I try to look for the best in people, and I like to play well in the sandbox. And I want to start by saying the objectives of the EU Green Deal branded, I think, as farm to fork, are really outstanding. When I first read those, those many months, now years ago, I said, well done, Europe. Way to step out there. In fact, I said, why don't we do that in the U.S.? Now, I think a lot of that's because we've been trying to follow those practices and those objectives all along. Growing up on our family farms in Indiana, I'll never forget my dad and grandparents all saying, leave that land better than you found it. And you've all heard some version of that. So I admire the objectives and I applaud the EU for its objectives. But please don't cut this next part out and think that I'm simply applauding the entirety of Green Deal and Farm to Fork because the tactics are, in my view and the world's view, it's not just me, horribly misguided. First of all, um, let me point out that the, all of us around the world, those that farm, those that are in food processing, are always seeking a kinder and gentler agriculture. And oftentimes that means less pesticides or no pesticides, less fertilizer or no. Uh, transitions such that you could go to no-till or minimum till. Uh, food security problems are always on the mind. I remember growing up talking in my 4-H and FFA speeches about how proud I am about the productivity and the rise of productivity in my farm and those across the world because the world and the consumers of the world needs that food. He also addressed another speaker at the webinar, Paula Devera, a senior policy advisor with Copa Cacheca in Europe, which is the strongest interest group for European farmers. Yes, the studies from your own uh, universities and institutes in Europe are correct when it says productivity will decline. You will rely on more imports. And I'd like to say that if 
you're imposing those same draconian measures on us, you're basically saying to other countries of the world, the 80%, along with you, that produce most of the food for the world, stop using technologies. It's bad. And this is going to create great harm to the world's consumers at a time when we have to double, 2x, double food production by 2050. One study that you did not cite that I'll call, I'll call out for people is one done by the very independent Economic Research Service of USDA. It's a 2019 study. It basically found that, yes, all the things you said are true, except that food security really gets into trouble because many more of the European countries become net food importers. I know that a dozen years or so ago, the UK became a net importer. I've read that somewhere in the next few years, either France or Germany, I don't think, I can't remember which one, soon to be a net importer. That is not what we as a society, as a global consumer society can even remotely think about if our goal must be to feed more people. And yes, you're correct, Paula, the Ukraine-Russia uh, issue, that nasty attack by the Russia on the Ukrainians, only exacerbates that. Same with COVID. I'll double down on it. I think it was a bad idea to undertake some of these tactics of farm to fork, even if COVID had never happened, and even if Russia had not attacked Ukraine. So I think we should not look to those as the only reasons. They have only sharpened our focus on the importance of this. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. Thanks, Sabrina. And now for today's Livestock Report, here's Randall Wiseman. Well, in today's Livestock News, on Monday, the U.S. Department of Agriculture did announce the details of additional assistance for dairy producers. This includes a second round of payments through the Pandemic Market Volatility Assistance Program and a new Organic Dairy Marketing Assistance Program. The programs will enable USDA to better support small and medium-sized dairy operations who weathered the pandemic and now face other challenges. The pandemic program assists producers who received a lower value due to market abnormalities caused by the pandemic and ensuing federal policies. As a result of the production cap increase, USDA's Agricultural Marketing Service will make these payments to eligible dairy farmers for fluid milk sales between 5 million and 9 million pounds from July through December of 2020. This level of production was not eligible for payment under the first round of the program. Payment rates will be identical to the first round of payments, 80% of the revenue difference per month on fluid milk sales from 5 to 9 million pounds from July through December of that year, 2020. USDA will again distribute monies through agreements with independent handlers and cooperatives with reimbursements to handlers for allowed administrative costs. Now, the new organic program will be administered by USDA's Farm Service Agency. It is intended to help smaller organic dairy farms that have faced a unique set of challenges and higher costs over the past several years that have been compounded by the ongoing pandemic and drought conditions across the country. Many small organic dairy operations are, of course, struggling to stay in business, and FSA plans to provide payments to cover a portion of their estimated marketing costs for this year. Final spending will depend on enrollment and each producer's projected production, but this new program has been allocated up to $100 million. If you'd like to learn more about either of these programs, go to this website, farmers.gov. That's www.farmers.gov or simply contact your local USDA service center. 
And of course, once that news came out, the National Milk Producers Federation commended Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack and leading congressional dairy advocates for providing this $100 million in additional targeted payments. Jim Mulhern, president and CEO of NMPF, said while loss is due to the combination of unforeseen market circumstances and an inadequate Class 1 pricing system have not been fully remedied, USDA and congressional efforts will aid thousands of dairy producers who otherwise would have absorbed losses created by policies that didn't work for them. USDA will again distribute monies through agreements with independent handlers and cooperatives. And NMPF notes they will continue their efforts to remedy losses among dairy farmers of all sizes, as well as for those farmers unable to receive program funds. To learn more, go to their website, nmpf.org. I'm Randall Wiseman for Agnet West. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Today's show is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost. Don't settle for expensive fertilizer when you can get nitrogen and organic matter together, all at a great price. Contact your soil health specialist, Thomas Fantosi, at 209-312-4016. Sinagro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. Should there be an investigation into the high price of eggs? That's coming up on This Land of Ours. A U.S. farm group is asking the Federal Trade Commission to look into the high prices of eggs and possible price gouging. Farm Action is a farmer-led advocacy organization that sent a letter to FTC Chair Linda Kahn to share their concerns over what they're calling apparent price gouging. They point out that Americans are paying more than ever for an important household staple. The USDA says a recent record outbreak of highly pathogenic avian influenza is the reason for the high prices. The group says the nation's top antitrust regulator must look into the record high profits of the nation's top egg company. Cal Maine Foods controls 20% of the retail egg market and reported a quarterly sales increase of 110%. Gross profits are 600% higher than the same time last year. The company says avian flu is driving up prices. However, CalMaine had no positive flu tests on any of its farms. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. A big issue for agriculture in 2022 was the condition of the farm economy. Crop production, energy issues, monetary policy, issues in the meat sector, water issues in the West, and unanticipated outside shocks all have significant impacts on farmers and ranchers. The response by farmers to higher commodity prices since early 2021 has been to increase acreage planted. U.S. energy policy has caused the prices of many commodities to increase, but production costs have also increased with energy and monetary policy being the primary drivers of inflation in the economy. During 2022, the demand for beef remained strong, with beef exports steadily growing. Packers enjoyed record margins, and cattle producers reduced herd sizes because of that and prolonged drought in major portions of cattle country. Pork saw a significant decrease in export demand, and poultry saw a significant decrease in flock size, largely because of the avian flu. 
The economic impact of water issues in the Great Plains in the West continued during 2022, and water access and availability will continue to be the key to profitability in these areas. Both land values and machinery costs outpaced inflation. What will 2023 hold? Higher interest rates for input loans for certain, but uncertainty over many things that farmers can't control will also continue. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. At the grocery store or the farmer's market, are you willing to pay a little bit of a premium price for organic food products? If so, you are among a growing number of Americans who want to buy organically produced products, that number growing on average by about 5.5% a year. But if you put down the extra money for organic, how do you know it really was grown that way? Now, there is a national organic program run by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, a program that began over 20 years ago, a program that defines exactly what the term organic means and runs a system of inspections and rules and regulations designed to certify growers and products as organic. There have been calls over the years for an overhaul of those rules, and after years of work on this, USDA has come out with a final set of new rules. The most significant change to the United States Department of Agriculture's organic regulations since the National Organic Program was established in 2001. Under Secretary of Agriculture Jennifer Moffitt unveiling for reporters the final package of new rules and regs for the organic industry. This rule safeguards the integrity of organic products so both consumers as well as producers are operating in a fair and level playing field. It reduces fraud in the organic market. Fraud, such as selling at premium prices non-organic products, but labeled and priced as organic. There's a big case of that sort right now in Minnesota, where just a few days ago, a couple of farmers were indicted for conspiring to sell $46 million worth of crops that were grown with conventional chemicals, but which the sellers claimed were organic. Now, under the current organic rules, many organic suppliers and producers are inspected and certified, but not all. However, the head of the National Organic Program, Jenny Tucker, says under these new rules. More types of operations will now need to be certified than needed to be certified before. So Congress closed what were considered loopholes of uncertified handlers, of folks that were able to be in organic trade without being certified. Those folks will now need to be certified, and that will take huge steps forward in traceability and supply chain protection. Including the protection of consumers and honest organic farmers. What people really want is they want transparency in the system. They want integrity in the system. Chelly Pingree is a member of Congress from Maine, and she told us during the pandemic, supply chain issues, which were widespread throughout agriculture, were exacerbated in organic agriculture and allowed for even more opportunities for fraudulent products to come through the market because of the desperate need for products everywhere. And so she praised the new rules, which she says will give consumers what they want. Consumers need to know that if they're going to put the money down, um, that they're actually going to get the product that they're intending to get. The new rules will be fully enforced March of 2024. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. 
But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West, providing you with statewide agriculture news daily. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Now let's listen in to more featured segments. Ryan Legrand, president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, took a look back at 2022 and said it was a great year for exports. 62 million tons of corn exported. Distillers grains were very near record high. You had Mexico taking a record amount of DDGS, well over 2 million tons. Pretty good year all in all. We had a very successful export exchange, and that's really the flagship event of the U.S. Grains Council. We'll bring in upwards of 300 international buyers from around 40 to 50 countries to just do business with the agribusiness members of the United States. There were $225 million of grain and co-product sales, so that was a very, very successful event. Another highlight from last year was opening their newest international office in India last September. He says the African continent is another target for more export opportunities for U.S. grain producers. We work all over Africa. We work in North Africa and in Sub-Saharan here in Africa on both the east and the west sides, and they're very, very different markets, all three of them. Last year, I was in Kenya and Tanzania seeing our programs where we're doing work that the council really got started doing in 1960, and that's trying to build our own demand from the ground up. We're doing animal extension work. We're teaching people better feed milling practices and hoping that we can create a market for ourselves in the future. He says there are other promising markets for U.S.-produced ethanol, corn, sorghum, and other products. Southeast Asia is really one that we're always watching and working hard in. We have some issues with corn competitiveness in there, but distiller's grains has always really been a big-ticket item going into Southeast Asia. Ethanol is starting to expand a little bit in there. If you break it down by product, on the ethanol side, I'd say Canada is a very, very promising market. They've quickly turned into our top export market for ethanol corn side. We've had some problems with competitiveness this year. We're coming back into uh, pricing where we price into more rations in more markets around the world. But I'd say Mexico is just going to continue to be a steady customer. He says China and Mexico also take in a lot of U.S. sorghum. Mexico also imports a lot of barley. There are a number of other markets that USGC is moving into with success. We're looking to expand ethanol use in Japan. There was just zero ethanol going into that, zero U.S. ethanol going into that just a few short years ago. And we keep expanding our reach there and and expanding exports there of ethanol to Japan in the form of VTBE. So that's one we'll be watching. We want to continue to develop these transship markets for ethanol that are happening in Singapore, ethanol going to various Southeast Asian nations after it gets shipped there. Korea is doing a lot of transshipping as well to Philippines and other nearby countries. So continuing to develop 
develop that transship market and just overall demand for ethanol would be a very key priority for us this year. Go to grains.org for more information. Chad Smith reporting. Well, grain producers know well all about weather markets, and certainly the grain trade this week is all about South American weather, but we see the decline looks to have been a bit overdone, or at least there are plenty of bulls still ready to buy on any dip in this market. March corn fell below our support level, 668 here early week, so 658 now needs to hold in our view. March soybeans, the low on Monday could be the low for the week. It's encouraging for producers that March moved right back up toward that $15 level. In the wheat trade, a farm futures survey shows that all wheat acres could top $48.5 million this year. That would be the highest since 2016. The first ever Crop Nutrition Week getting closer. AgriLiquid inviting you to a virtual week of learning, connecting with other growers. It's all free. It's all online. Register at CropNutritionWeek.com. It's February 6th through the 10th. Again, register for free at CropNutritionWeek.com. This is the Bottom Line Report. Superior Livestock Auction held the first major sale of the year in Oklahoma City. Over 141,000 head of calves, yearlings, and breadstock from 33 states were offered. Feeder steers and heifers, 4 to $8 lower, but wean calves were $6 higher. I'm Mark Oppold, wishing you a profitable day. Later this spring, USDA's first ever regional agricultural trade mission to the Netherlands. In 2021, U.S. agriculture, fishery, and forestry products exported to the Netherlands totaled $3.4 billion, which made it the United States' 10th largest export market. That's Ryan Brewster of the Foreign Agricultural Service. He says another reason for the Netherlands as a market of interest and growing ag export destination for U.S. farm and food goods. The port of Rotterdam is there. That really is one of the gateways into the rest of Europe. So we see a lot of opportunity for importers who are located in the Netherlands to take U.S. products and distribute them across Europe. So we're really excited about that. There's several products that we're actually looking to try to promote. We have everything from forestry products, beef products, dairy products, fish and seafood, tree nuts, other kind of processed products like confectionaries, condiments, sauces, and then even things like distilled spirits, wine, and craft beers all have a real market there in the Netherlands and Northern Europe. In terms of the logistics of the upcoming ag trade mission, it's taking place April 17th through the 20th. We're going to be there in Amsterdam for that time, and we're really inviting all small and medium U.S. agribusiness exporters to apply if they think they have a product that would be viable. Mission details and application information is available on online at www.fas.usda.gov. The application process is a pretty simple application process. They can log on to the Foreign Agricultural website, and there's a trade mission page there. There's a quick couple-page application. Talk about the products that you have and the things that you're looking to do. The Netherlands event is among several USDA ag trade missions scheduled for 2023. We're just sending out our acceptance letters for our Panama trade mission, which is going to take place in March. And then we're looking to go to Tokyo, Japan in the first part of June. And we're hoping to have our application period in mid-February for that trade mission to Tokyo. We're looking at several other destinations in the latter half of 2023 and hope to announce those soon. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. 
This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Today's show is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost. Don't settle for expensive fertilizer when you can get nitrogen and organic matter together, all at a great price. Contact your soil health specialist, Thomas Fantosi, at 209-312-4016. Sinagro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. For today's interview segment, our friend over at agwire.com, Chuck Zimmerman, had the opportunity to chat with Rob Donosky with Ernst & Young all about how technology will help the future food system. Rob, first of all, introduce yourself. Tell us your name and what you do. My name is Rob Donosky. I'm a partner with EY, and I lead our global ag and food business. You just uh, had a keynote presentation for us here at the uh, Vision Conference. Um, tell me a little bit about um, you know, the technology and the future of food systems, and what are some of the key takeaways you wanted people to know? Yeah, I think the, the whole perspective of our food system is changing, and it's changing pretty dramatically. It, it begs the question of where can technology be a, a key unlock tool for that. And so I think that the trends towards consumer centricity, what are consumers looking for, what are business models to get direct to consumers and really appeal to what they're asking for is, is key. I think the other side of that that consumers are showing preference towards and definitely as a as a society we're, we're leaning in on is, is the friendliness to our planet. So how do we improve some of our practices using technology to make, our, make it more planet friendly? You know, does your average person out there understand what things mean on the label or are they, are they actually looking or is that maybe just a small percentage? Yeah, I think there's a small percentage of people who could really go ingredient by ingredient on the back of the package and say, you know, what is this? You know, why is it in here? You know, are there any, you know, health side effects to it? You know, I, I think we all have a you know, strong trust in our, our FDA and government systems around food that says if it's in a package, it's safe for us. Now, safe and healthy for me at an individual level may be two different things. And so I think with more insight to our personal genetics, how foods interact with our personal genetics, really starts to, you know, make you more curious about what's in my food, where it come from, and how's it going to, you know, help me meet my nutritional goals. Yeah, I heard you say, um, I think it was that, you know, 16-year-olds aren't necessarily just, you know, impatiently waiting for the opportunity to get their driver's license because they can just Uber now. And, and or you can just uh, get out your phone and order food and have it, sometimes within an hour, right to your door. Definitely that's uh, something different from, from in the past. Yeah, it's definitely different in the past. And the question, I think, at the end of the day is wh- where does that impact us from a social experience standpoint? You know, you know, is that, is that going to get through an app? Are we going to you know, learn those skills in the same way? You know, but the reality is people want it in a, in a they want to be served by their phone. You know, and I think the the opportunity to to do that is a tremendous opportunity today. You know, whether that's through some of the last mile delivery folks, or it's directly through stores, or restaurants, or or other providers. I think the the opportunity. I think we're just now really starting to to see the opportunity. 
Well, if you're going to spend uh, what would be about the same cost for a, uh, a laptop computer to buy a phone today, you, you might as well use it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But it's also, you know, the thing is with a lot of the, the generations, the, particularly the Gen Z's and millennials, they've, they've grown up, they've always had a phone. You know, and so they, they don't think about, you know, necessarily other forms. I mean, their channel starts with the phone. And um, yeah, I think at your point, you're, you want most value out of that phone. I think they, they, they see it that way. But I think it's more of a convenience factor and the, the way they've learned to kind of digitally interact. So for um, farmers and, and companies that are providing them with their uh, products and services they need, how much is this how big of a change is some of this for them in their practices? I, I think it could be significant. I mean, I think at the end of the day, farmers today need to know more about consumer trends than ever before. And so as, as uh, consumers shift away from certain types of foods, categories of foods, are they producing something that's on the down cycle or are they, can they shift over to something that may be on the, on the growth cycle? Now, some of that challenge is it could require different practices, could require different equipment, different capital to get you there. But, you know, when you're in, in the business to make money in, in the farming space, you're, you've got to really take a, a, you know, an economic view of what's, um, you know, what's the end market for you. Before we close, anything else you might want to mention that we, we didn't touch on? Yeah, I think the thing is everybody, you know, you can get kind of lulled to sleep thinking about the future and it's 10 years out and now it's only for a certain segment of the population. I think that's true. I said, but, you know, technology will serve all aspects of the, of the population, whether that means you're, you know, um, starving or, or really malnutritioned. I think there's a great opportunity for technology to serve, you know, that, you know, that segment of our community as well as the people who are going to be, you know, leading edge technology adopters. So I think the, the opportunity to leverage technology into the food system is, is phenomenal right now. Well, thank you very much, Rob, for visiting with me here at the Vision Conference. I'm Chuck Zimmerman reporting. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. Support us at 4H.org. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of today's agriculture news right now. Today's Ag Labor Insights are brought to you by the Farm Employers Labor Service. Established by California Farm Bureau, Fells has been helping farmers comply with labor regulations for 50 years. And with us today is Brian Little, Fells CEO and labor issue expert. And now, Brian, I know you are constantly working to help keep the industry uh, up to date and informed on issues impacting ag labor. And as part of that, you're again going to be hosting some uh, educational events here in the uh, coming weeks. So uh, what's on the schedule for uh, some helpful workshops ag employers might benefit from? That's right, Brian. Uh, And here at the beginning of the year is a good time for folks to catch up on some of these required trainings. And a good example of that is going to be food safety training. Anybody who produces a commodity 
that's consumed raw without undergoing a kill step like pasteurization is required to have one person on their farm who has uh, taken a food safety training course sanctioned by the Food and Drug Administration and checked in on uh, periodically by the California Department of Food and Agriculture. And we're offering these trainings with a very generous grant from CDFA that allows us to be able to offer them for only $35. These are day-long courses. Uh, we'll feed you lunch so you don't, depending on how rural the area is you are, it might be a little difficult to get out and find some lunch and get back again at a reasonable time. And we want to get everybody you know, on the road at the end of the day at a reasonable hour. We have those coming up at places like Modesto and Red Bluff and Vacaville and Stockton between now and early May, and we're probably going to be adding more. And your listeners can find out more about that by going to foodsafetytrainingpartnership.org. That's foodsafetytrainingpartnership.org. Now, at the same time, we're also juggling different types of trainings a little bit. One of the big stories of 2022 was the passage of the card check bill uh, that now allows labor unions to attempt to unionize a farm employer merely by getting farm employees to sign authorization cards. If they can get a, a majority of a farmer's employees to sign authorization cards, you don't have a secret ballot election anymore. You simply have a labor union, and the LRB will certify them as your collective bargaining representative. We've done a number of seminars around the state so far uh, to try to educate ag employers about the nature of AB 2183 and the car check bill and what that means for ag employers and supervisors and ag employees. And we've got two more coming up, one on February 6th uh, at San Joaquin County Farm Bureau in Stockton. Uh, and we also have another one coming up on March 3rd at Sonoma County Farm Bureau in Santa Rosa. Someone who's interested in looking at those and trying to figure out whether they want to try to attend or not can find information about that at uh, fels.net backslash webinars. So it's fels.net backslash webinars. Study addressing higher labor costs for growers of produce. USDA economic researcher Skylar Simnet discusses a recent study on higher labor costs in fruit and vegetable production and what strategies and tools growers are using to address it. This report is basically a review of what information's out there on how growers of fruits and vegetables, particularly fresh fruits and vegetables, are adjusting to fewer domestic workers, higher labor costs. A lot of what we did in this study was looking at numbers that are available over the National Agricultural Statistics Service and also looking at trade data. We also were able to rely on conversation collected from longtime relationships with extension. Growers basically, in the short term, they can do a few things to deal with the increase labor costs. They can have fewer passes through the field, for example, or they can use existing mechanical aids. They can start incorporating those technologies that are available. In the longer term, though, the main strategies that our growers have are things like bringing in more guest workers via the H-2A program or other means, decreasing production, actually, of crops that just aren't showing to be competitive or they're not going to be competitive long-term with imports, and using or developing new technology for mechanical harvesters where those aren't currently available or improving existing technologies. 
Many farmers and ranchers across the West continue to battle drought conditions, according to the fourth American Farm Bureau Federation drought survey. AFBF economist Danny Munch says the survey helps assess the impact of drought on Western agriculture. We do it to kind of further quantify some of the ground level impacts that farmers and ranchers are experiencing. We distributed this survey to members across 16 states between October 19th and December 13th. We got over 550 responses this time. There were three separate sections of the survey specific factors, livestock specific factors, and general water access. One of the big takeaways was 60% of respondents reported selling off a portion of their herd or flock, with total herd sizes expected to be down 33%. The last survey that we took in 2022, 67% of respondents reported reducing their herd size in 2021, and 50% were further reducing their herd during 2022. In this survey, 62% of respondents were reducing their herd size in early 2022, and a much lower 17% reported they were further reducing their herd or flock. So this could signal a bottom of the liquidations that were occurring because of drought. It also could just mean that farmers didn't have any animals left to sell. Munch says changes in drought conditions since the survey are regionally dependent. In some areas, drought conditions have not improved, like in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas. In other places like California, they have received quite a bit of rain, and that occurred outside of the scope of the survey. And those rains, in some cases, have caused flooding. So depends where you are in the country how much recovery there is left in cases of drought or if the drought is still present. Learn more on the Market Intel page at FB.org. Michael Clements, Washington. To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit Agnet West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Danielle Leal, Brian German, and Sabrina Halvertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.